Smartcast. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Often they're the kind of people that um, are not thinking too much about others, you know. They're not thinking about working as a team. They're thinking more about themselves and getting to that, that level. And I think leaders today, the most successful ones, are working on the same level as the teams that they're in and that they see themselves as helping the team or part of the team rather than above it. Hi, and welcome to Deep Leadership. I'm your host, John Rennie. Well, I hope all is well with you today. This is another special Wednesday morning episode brought to you by our sponsors, Jeremy Clevenger Fitness and the Sasquatch Flag Company. Both of these sponsors help me bring these shows to you each and every week, so I encourage you to click on their links below and check them out. I have another great show lined up for you today, but before we get started, I just want to remind you to check out the leadership books I've written on either Amazon or my website, johnsrunny.com. This year, I'm offering a new way to purchase all of my books for a discount. I've bundled the books into what I call the Qualified Leadership Series, and you get all three books for 15% off the individual prices. This offer is only available on my website, so check it out if you're looking to step up your leadership game this year. Also, I wanted to remind you that Deep Leadership is now ranked in the top 100 management podcast in the U.S. and now in the U.K., and I wanted to thank each and every one of you for listening in each week and sharing these episodes with your friends. You have helped this podcast grow into a top-performing show, so thank you very much. Well, that is it. Today, we're going to be talking about empathetic leadership, and my guest is Dr. Peter Sear. Now, as you know, I always say that leadership is a people business, and having the ability to understand the needs of others and being aware of their feelings and thoughts is a critical leadership skill. Unfortunately, it's often been considered a soft skill that's overlooked by most bosses. Now, this was a great conversation with someone who has deep research and understanding in this field, and I know this conversation will help you become a more effective leader. So, are you ready to dive in? Let's get started. Welcome to Deep Leadership. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former Cold War submarine officer who spent 20 plus years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. Leadership matters. Are you ready for some real world actionable advice from John as well as his expert guests? I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. The show starts right now. Welcome to the Deep Leadership Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Peter Sear. Peter is a psychologist, writer, and consultant. He is the founder of the Empathic Minds Organization. He's also the author of a brand new book called Empathic Leadership Lessons from Elite Sport. And I am excited to have him on the show to talk about empathic leadership and how this applies to our roles as business leaders. So, Peter, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, it's a great to meet you. And we really haven't covered this topic, the topic of empathy uh, and empathic leadership. So I'm excited to have you on the show to learn from really what it is, what is a brand new book and your research too on this topic. Uh, so I'm excited about it. But first of all, tell us what led you into the field of empathy and specifically empathic leadership. 
well, this has been my world for the last sort of five or six years. So, um, you know, I've, I've come to know little else, to be honest. But I first got into researching empathy because I studied psychology from various perspectives, from depth psychology in Jung, Carl Jung, and from clinical psychology and from a more neuroscientific perspective as well. And I was considering doing my PhD and everybody advised me to make sure that you focus on something that really fascinates you and your, you know, your preferred area and bring together any interest you've got because this thing is going to drive you crazy and you need to remain uh, in touch with it. So I was always fascinated by emotions and understanding other people's emotions, understanding other people's worlds, because I think relationships are so important when we do anything and unless we know how to understand the people that we work with we don't really get very far it was also that I've played a lot of sport in my life as well and I whatever sport even if I wasn't very good at it the uh, people who were choosing often chose me as captain or, or some sort of leadership position and I often sort of questioned to myself why and I, I think it was my ability to understand unique perspectives and to talk to people how they prefer to be talked to and therefore get on with everybody. Um, and you often get sort of clicks in te sports teams and stuff, but I was always able to talk to everybody. And I think that's what, you know, gave me the advantage in that, in that position. So I took the idea of looking at empathy, which is understanding other people's worlds, other people's emotions and put it into sport leadership and, and really looking at it at elite level. So I, took the idea to Loughborough University, the top university in the world for sport. And I um, managed to speak to 20 head coaches of elite teams around the world in about 11 different sports. So I really got uh, a, a lot of great interview data about how they see empathy working for them, how they use it as a tool and what it gives them. Yeah, that is, <laughs> that's amazing. And, I, and I'm, I'm excited to get into it. Um, the, uh, the book that you have written is called Empathic Leadership Lessons from Elite Sport. So my question to you is, you know, um, what was, uh, it sounds like the inspiration to this book was your, the research you did for your, your PhD, but this particular version of it, now that you've written for the general public, who was it written for? In other words, who's the audience? Is it for coaches it, or is it for leaders? Who's the audience for this particular book? Yeah, I've often been uh, quite frustrated about the way academia keeps things to itself and yes. writes, writes for other academics rather than applying stuff in the real world. And I was really excited about getting out in the world and, and sharing this with other coaches, perhaps not quite at the elite level, to explain how and why people are leading empathically in sports today. Um, and so I very much wrote it for leaders in sport, like head coaches of all teams from grassroots up to professional level. and also saw it as a as a model for any industry. I think it's a great testing ground sport. It's something that we can relate to and other people understand when we talk about it because everyone's aware of sporting figures in the media, mm. etc. Um, and I think it's such a high-pressure environment that if things work in that environment, they tend to work in other situations as well. Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I know... Like from my perspective, I've written about you know military leadership and how that yeah similarly, business but, leadership is very similar. Sport yeah. to to business is very similar transition for sure. 
So, so help us understand what it, what is empathetic uh, leadership or empathic leadership, and how does empathy work for leaders? Right. So, the idea of empathic leadership is that it's advantageous to understand the thoughts, emotions, worlds, and perspectives and intentions of other people. Mm. So, if a, a head coach in sport, for example, has got a squad of athletes. By understanding each of them individually, he or she will understand how best to motivate them, what the best thing to say to them is, and the manner or mode in which they're communicated to them. Um, It helps them understand who's best for each situation or task that's ahead of them. Um, It helps them to understand who's more committed, who perhaps has got the most potential in the sport. Um, It really opens up a... um, a broad spectrum of information. I often refer to empathy as a uh, as the most human form of data collection. Mm-hmm. Um, I often meet leaders who are obsessed with data these days and see empathy as something that can't be put in sort of data form. But I explain to them that this is how human beings have been collecting data on each other for as long as we've been on the planet. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny because I say in my books, I say leadership is a people business. It's all about yeah. people. And empathy, like you just said, is our it's our human form of data collection. It's the way we get to know people. And the best way to lead people is to know them. And the best way to know them is to have empathy. So to me, it seems like a natural fit. You know, you have to have empathy if you want to lead people. And from your study, is that is that the case? The the are the best coaches tapping into empathy to be really good at what they do? That's what I found is the situation today. I think it's if you compare the situation to how it was in elite sport maybe 20 years ago, which a lot of the coaches I spoke with did, um, often when they were athletes themselves, and the coach's mentality, not all the time, but often was, look, it's my way or the highway. Mm. And, and if the way they coach didn't fit with a specific athlete, who may be a really talented athlete, then they were lost to the to the organization. So it helps you to, if, if you understand and recognize each individual for who they are, it helps organizations or teams to retain talent. Yeah. So I think you can see, one of the things that made me think of sport when I thought of empathy as well was that you just see a difference in the way head coaches are with athletes these days. You see like the end of game hug, don't you? You see yeah. a lot more physical contact than perhaps you would have done once upon a time. You might have seen a handshake or a high five, but now it's a real sort of close relationship that you can see symbolized by that hug. Um, and I had stories about head coaches who would take it in turns to invite their athletes around to Sunday dinner and things like this and to have social events designed to get to know the athlete within their family and what their home life was like, and sort of everything about them to, to help the coach understand what sort of person they were dealing with so that they could be a better leader for them. Mm. Yeah, I think what what I'm hearing, and it's something that I've always always felt, you know, being a leadership practitioner, is that you can't take a one-size-fits-all approach That's right. to leading people. You have to know what each person needs, and some need a kick in the butt. Others need yep. encouragement. Others need a hug. Other other people, you know, you, you've got to be tough with. And I think, I think the best leaders spend time knowing their people 
and knowing how they tick, what their motivations are, what their challenges are, and to be able to customize their approach to each individual. And I think what you're saying is, is that the best coaches get to know their players and know what motivates them, right? Yeah, that's right. And they, they take any advantage to do that. So often we get to know each other best by our informal conversations, like um, on the coach or aeroplane away to an away game or something like that. A coach may take time to sort of uh, sit with different people to, to get to know them just have chats about anything that's going on in the world or in their lives. And sometimes they're hit on a subject where they find they've got something in common. And that's like a, a real moment of connection. And all of a sudden, the, the athlete feels, oh, this guy gets me, you know. He, he, I, I feel a relationship with him there. And and even the neuroscience bears out that there's this, this sort of magic buzz about empathy when you connect with somebody that it changes your neurochemistry. You know, your, your cortisol, your stress hormone goes down. And your oxytocin levels go up, which which makes a big difference to how you feel. Even helps uh, speed up your heal healing time and your physiological well being. Mm. You know, it's funny as I hear you say that. To me, I would say, why why shouldn't every leader be that way with their employees? Because of all all the benefits you just say. So we're we're trying to retain our best people, right? So wouldn't we want to employ those techniques? Uh, with in, in a business leadership standpoint, uh, a, a setting. But what I sense and what I saw in 22 years in corporate is that many leaders are afraid to to be that way. Did, mm. did you find that anything in your research by that, or why do you think many leaders are afraid to be empathic, are afraid to open up, afraid to get to know their people? Um, right, I think they see empathy as possibly a weakness. And yes. if people are, are taking too much time over individuals that they might see it as um, maybe weak or perhaps uh, being biased to individuals, if other people see a relationship developing, and so it's important for the for the leader to be fair with everybody. Um, but there's also data that suggests that, and I don't want to generalise here, but the, there was data that looked at different schools at universities, and you look at uh, business schools, and they have the lowest levels of empathy and the lowest <laughs> levels of appreciation of empathy. And within business schools, the economists have got the lowest of the low. <laughs> so if you, you think about the type of personality that wants to be a business leader that automatically uh, has this need for power, if you like, and, and wants to um, get to the top, then often they're the kind of people that um, are not thinking too much about others you know they're not thinking about working as a team they're thinking more about themselves and getting to that that level and i think leaders today the most successful ones are working on the same level as the teams that they're in and that they see themselves as helping the team or part of the team rather than above it yeah i i, I think that's a that's a, a challenge too i think you know it's one thing to be connecting with with your team and with your you know with your workers but there are certain things that only a leader can do. And so sometimes if you get down too far in the dirt, you miss out on, you know, you know, that being able to look at the view of the, of the business overall. So I think that's one of the so we we want to connect, we want to be and have and be uh empathic towards our employees, but we don't want to get too too distracted by that to not, you know, keep an eye out for the business and what's happening in the industry. So I think there's some some challenge there for sure. Yeah, and it's very important that to keep a balance with that distance between a leader and especially a team of athletes. I had uh, some head coaches talk to me about when they've been through a successful period with their team, for example, and they might go out for a week celebrating with the players and, and drinking maybe and 
and becoming a lot closer to them. And uh, one head coach said to me that he'd, he'd been doing this at the end of the season. And in the first week of the next season, a couple of the athletes call him up and say, you know, do you want to come out for a drink? And, mm. and, and he said, no. He said, I was doing that because we were celebrating a great season, but I'm back to being your leader now. And it, it was important for him to maintain that, that distance, even though he's got a close relationship with them. Yeah. So I think what you're saying is, is that we can be empathic. We can get to know our people. We can develop a rapport. It doesn't mean that we lose our roles as leaders or coaches. Right. Yeah, you know. definitely. Hmm. So in your book, you talk about uh, self-empathy, and I've never really seen that before. So I thought I would give you a chance to explain what that is and why that's important. Well, before we understand other people, it's really important for us to understand our own internal goings on. Um, there was a great example given to me by an OS hockey head coach about this. Uh, he's him and his coaches were watching his team practice warm up before the game on the rink. And he said to his fellow head co his fellow coaches that, um, I feel that the players are nervous, you know, that they're, because it, it was a big game, you know. And they got together and had a chat and decided that it wasn't the players that were nervous, it was the coaches that were nervous. Mm. They were projecting those nerves onto the players. And yes, that, that, that made him give a completely different pretty much talk to the one that he was perhaps going to give before, which may have made the players nervous, you know? So it was important for him to understand where his own emotions end and that he's not getting them confused with the emotions of his athletes. Hmm. So the more we know about ourselves and how we react to situations, the less likely we are to do that. I really like that. I, I just spent some time talking to another business leader, a good friend of mine, and he he struggles with the idea. He's very good at being authentic, but he struggles with the idea of when things are going bad, um, not projecting that when he's in the office and around his employees because he, he, he likes, he appreciates the importance of being authentic. But then, you know, him and I talked about the idea of like sort of, there's a little bit of you're a stage actor when you're in theater, you know, and so it's important to be to accept what's true and be, you know, be realistic about what the true nature of the business is. But, but you also have to sort of, you know, provide, I always say leaders have to provide hope. And so we're providing an optimistic message. And so if we project our fears and you know, all our worries onto our employees, you know, that's contagious. And so like the yeah. coaching example, that's a bad situation when you're nervous and you project that onto your players right before a big game. So I think you're saying is that we've got to be in touch with our our own emotions and our own feelings and be careful that we don't project those necessarily onto our team, teammates, unless it's necessary, unless it's something that, you know, like sometimes emotion works really well in, in getting a team fired up and getting employees there. Yeah. But we have to be careful that we've, we're projecting the right emotions, I guess, is what you're saying. Yeah. So one of the things I looked at was touchline behavior. Mm. Um, so when the head coach is on the touchline, the, the team are often looking across to him for or, or her for um, information or for solutions to problems on the field. Um, so all leaders are observed all the time, but particularly in sport. The, the head coach in sport has typically got a, a squad of athletes who are not on the field behind him, watching him from behind, and then the people on the pitch are looking to him for solutions. So the last thing the, the athletes on the pitch want to look over and see is somebody who's out of control, who's lost a temper or something like yeah. that. But at the same time, as you say, although authenticity is important, it's important for the leader to give his 
athletes what they need in a specific moment. Yes. So most of the time, that will be a calm persona, um, somebody who looks like they, they've got the answers. I've often seen in football, in soccer, where a, a team might be losing at halftime and just be, just as the whistle goes for halftime, the head coach will turn and run down the tunnel. And that says to the athletes, oh, he's got some answers. He's gonna, we're going to go in there and he's going to tell us how we're going to turn this round. You know, he sends a message. But there are also situations where perhaps the team are too calm on the field and they need hyping up a little bit. Yeah, uh, and, and I've had head coaches tell me that they'll deliberately look like they're losing their temper and go over and kick a water bottle or something like that to make the team feel, oh, we need to, you know, up, up this. This is not good enough, you know. Um, going back to the, the athlete sitting behind the coach as well when he's on the touchline, the coach or the leader has to remember, and I think this goes for all industries as well, that when they're saying things to their fellow coaches, their assistants, et cetera, or saying things about what's going on on the pitch that they are being listened to so if someone makes a mistake on the field of play and the head coach says to something nasty or something really critical to the, the assistant next to him and the substitutes are, are listening to that then it's going to make them more nervous about what they do when they go on the field of play yes oh, so yeah. Yeah. It's, it's vital that the coach is aware of all these different perspectives and it's a lot to keep in mind obviously we'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors Leadership skills are like any other skills. You need to practice them to get better at them. Best-selling leadership author John S. Rennie knows this. That's why he's written a new book called You Have the Watch. It's a guided journal for leaders designed to take you through an entire year of leadership training. By the end of the year, you will master 50 of the most important leadership skills. If you want to have a greater impact on the results and people in your organization, go to youhavethewatch.com and pick up your copy today. This episode is brought to you by Jeremy Clevenger Fitness. As a high-performing leader, you know that leadership isn't about telling people what to do. It's about leading by example. And for most people, the one area that they're lacking when it comes to leading by example is their health and fitness. By improving your health and fitness, every other area of your life improves. But how do you get and stay fit as a busy leader? Well, you do what you've always done. You hire the best person for the job. Don't struggle on your own. Put Jeremy Clevenger on your team. Jeremy will work with you to take your physique, mindset, nutrition, habits and more to the next level with his step-by-step all-inclusive coaching program. Now I've worked with Jeremy for the past year and I'm in the best shape of my life. If you want to step up your game, reach out to Jeremy at apexperformancesystems.com to find out more and get your initial consultation scheduled with him today. This episode is brought to you by the Sasquatch Flag Company. The Sasquatch Flag Company is a family-owned business in New England that builds hand-carved American flags from seasoned white pine. Each flag is hand-built, and each star on the flag is hand-hammered and chiseled. No two flags are alike. They offer a variety of flag designs to honor the police, military, firefighters, dispatchers, and search and rescue personnel, to name a few. These stunning handmade flags look great in an office, a studio, the back porch, or above the fireplace mantle. They make the perfect gift for the veteran, first responder, or patriot in your life. Now, I love these flags, and I've been giving them as gifts for years, and I was a customer long before they became a sponsor of the show. I can't recommend them enough, so if you're looking for that perfect, uniquely American make gift to give away or if you want to treat yourself go to sasquatchflags.com and get your order in today i like what you said because i've never really thought about that way because i always think of authenticity as being important but what you just said was you have to project the right emotions for your team at the time 
And the great coaches do that. They, and it's a bit of, it's a little bit of acting. It's a little bit of, but it's, 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 it's recognizing what is needed and making sure you project what is needed. And yeah. uh, so it's really not, um, it's really not being authentic. <laughs> really. It's, it's, no. it's holding back a little bit. Like, cause if you do see a mistake, right. We've trained on that, Joe, yep. you know, not to do that. So you want to say something, but you know, your players are behind you and you know that that's going to leave a bad impression. So you don't yep. do it. So in other words, you're, 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 you're playing to what's important to your team. Yeah. That you're serving their needs. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. I haven't really thought of it that way. And I really like how you put that together. Um, in the book, you talk about uh, empathic communication. What, what does that look like? When I spoke to a lot of uh, head coaches, they talked to me about recognizing individuals when they communicated with them. So as you say, some people might need a kick up backside. Other people need a little bit more of an arm around them. But it was, it was more than that. It was about delivering all sorts of information. So team selection, for example, when uh, athletes are, are discovering when they're in the team for the, for the game on the Saturday or whatever, um, the typical coach of 20 years ago would slam the team sheet on the door and drive off home before anyone saw it sort of thing. But, but these days, the coach, the coaches I spoke with often ask each individual athlete how they prefer to be notified, whether they're selected or not. Mm. Sometimes they have to announce this as a group and uh, with whatever works. But often athletes will say, I'd rather you email me to notify me so I can sort of digest that news and then maybe have a chat when it's suitable. Uh, and others wanted to be told face-to-face. Um, with all information, coaches prefer to talk face-to-face to, to people or um, Zoom or FaceTime, if not, because um, you leave yourself open to miscommunications, misunderstandings with text messages and, and things like that. You, you can't get the same level of uh, human understanding. So, But often there are situations where certain things were referred because of the way athletes were aware they themselves would react to situations and they didn't want to sort of, I don't know, I had some athletes who say that they might just break down and cry when they found out they're not in a team. They're going to the Olympics or something like that. They've been training for something all their lives and all yeah. of a sudden they're told they're cut from the squad. You know, it's a, it's a big thing. So there are ways in which to do that and modes of communication were important to the head coaches so I spoke to. Mm. Um, the, the communication being very dynamic as well came up where it's back and forth all the time. So there's a lot more listening to the athletes now than there used to be. Um, and a lot more ensuring the messages were understood. So there was mutual understanding. What the coach was saying, often asking athletes to repeat back to them how they understood what they were told yeah. to do, if it was an instruction for a game or something, to make sure that there was listening fidelity, if you like, there was, there was mutual understanding. And that, that's really important and very sort of empathic approach. Interesting. That, that, that's actually something I talked about in my second book, which we, it's something we learned in the military was on a submarine at sea, we used to think called verbatim repeat back. So we would give an order and they would repeat back. So we knew that they heard the order. Yeah. And, um, and, I, and I said, I've used that in business when there's a critical thing that, you know, that we're doing is to make sure that the listener understands the direction that's provided. And one yeah. way to do that is just, just, just to say, explain to me what, what, what do you think the requirements are? And it gives you that chance to just connect and and get some reassurance that that the, the message was heard and understood. Because a lot of times we think as leaders, we we fire and forget. You know, we're like, 
Yeah. As you do that and you walk off and you come back and it's not the way you expected. It's because they weren't, you know, the, the, we didn't connect. The message didn't connect. Yeah. And if, if, if there's a miscommunication or a misunderstanding from the person you're connecting with, that's the fastest way to lose your job as a leader, isn't it? So, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Especially when it's a critical, you know, something is very important, very critical and has to get boiled. Or you lie. Yeah. Yeah. Or alive. Well, when, on the submarine, it was definitely. Uh, yeah. For sure. <laughs> sure. Um, I, I was just curious. I, I know you touched on it in the book a little bit, and I just wanted to throw it out there. How are trust and empathy connected when it comes to leadership, when it comes to coaching? I had a lot of leaders talk to me about when they've got in these closer relationships with athletes, athletes were often more likely to share things about themselves and it might be something like problems they're dealing with in their personal lives or something like that. And if it's something that the leader themselves has gone through and then the leader shares something back, that enhances that relationship even more and enhances trust even more. I think the best way to describe it is probably when the athlete perceives empathy. If the athlete thinks that this guy is thinking about things from my perspective, he's, he's seen who I am, he values me and he wants me to do well in life. Uh, and that's that's something else that came up that a lot of these coaches today, one of them said to me that he didn't think he'd have been a coach in the era 20 years ago because he was a different kind of person. Mm. And there's different societal expectations on leaders today. And he was the kind of guy that he said he saw young athletes coming through and sometimes they didn't really make it into the first team or whatever, but he helped them in other ways. Like he said he taught one athlete who needed to just work harder at his game. And the athlete took that on in his academic work and ended up training to become a doctor. Mm. His life had completely changed just because of that change in attitude that the coach had helped him with. And the coach said to me, that means more to me than any trophy when I look at what that guy's doing now, you know? Mm. So I think there's a different kind of person becomes a leader and it's the kind of person that athletes or or people that are following them can trust a little bit more and, and believe that the leader's got their best interests at heart. Yeah, uh, I think I, I think you're right, and I do think that when if if an employee or a player feels like their voice is heard, that they matter to the coach or leader, then I think they're more likely to trust them, and um, and so they feel like their voice is heard versus you know, somebody somebody who doesn't have time for them or doesn't listen to them or just tells them what to do without having that two-way communication. So I think that does open up that that bond, that trust a little bit more, for sure. Definitely, yeah. Yeah, wow. Um, you, uh, you talked about uh, having an empathetic or is it empathic climate? <laughs> I, wrote, I wrote empathetic, yeah. but it's probably empathic yeah. climate. We, we've been it back with this word. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, this empathic climate. So what does a climate look like when you're in a situation where that is an empathic climate? So I think we often read about when things go wrong about climate, probably more than when things are going well. We read about toxic climates or climates of mm -hmm. fear. Uh, there's been lots of incidences in sport, particularly even at international level, um, British cycling, swimming, yep. um, gymnastics in America and all, all sorts of different places. But by the leader being empathic, as you said, empathy is contagious and it, and it brings about a different way of treating each other within the group. 
So if people are all of a sudden starting to understand the worlds of other people and and see things from their points of view, it, it helps develop a, a more caring environment and a safer environment. And as we know, safe climates breed creativity because it means that people are more likely to come forward with ideas, speak up about things uh, because they feel safe enough to do so. So it, it's better for the whole team, the safer people feel within the climate. It's better for their well-being as well, but um, particularly creativity. Yeah, that's uh, I, I yeah I, I agree with you, and I've seen that as well. What's interesting thing is I've had a couple of uh, Navy SEAL commanders on this show, and two of them separately um, both said one of the things that made a difference between a between a good team and an elite team, and and both of them said this and always surprised me was love. They they yeah. brought up the word love that that there was so much um, respect for each other that they had each other's back, and there was this bond that existed within the team and and that's not what you not what i expected to hear during those interviews i expected wow they're tough guys they train hard and all this stuff but instead these these tough guys are talking about love and that's an interesting thing to hear from from a navy seal commander right but yeah. both of them separate interviews both said the same thing and that uh, that really stood out to me and, and it sort of matches a little bit what you're saying there as far as this uh empathic uh climate yeah i mean if we think about a team in terms of a family, yeah. If, if you have siblings, for example, you can know what they're thinking about a situation when you go into a situation. You can walk into a building and you'll know how your brother or sister feels about the space. You'll you'll know how they're going to react to to something that happens in front of you. And if you can get to that level of, of uh, relationship within a team where people know each other that well then it allows all sorts of things to happen. If you can predict how your teammates are going to behave on the football pitch or or your basketball court or something, then that gives you an edge. Mm. Yeah, that's it. That's it. hundred percent. Same thing with the SEAL team, the elite SEAL team. You you know without communicating what your brother's going to do, what the, yeah. the, move, the, the, the move they're going to make. I knew that on, on a submarine. We, we trained so hard. We knew each other backwards and forward, and how we'd react in every situation, and 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 we trusted our lives to the guy next to us. And I think yeah, that's, that's empathy. Here. Yeah, that's empathy. Mm, yeah. Wow. Um. So uh, we <laughs> we didn't. This is a great book. We didn't cover all of it, but what are some other areas uh, things that people can discover about empathy in this new book? Um. So developing empathy. I've got a chapter on developing empathy. Um. Empathy is something that can be trained and you can work on. Um, so leaders can work on it themselves just by practicing it, by imagining themselves in other people's world. There is a, a slight difference in the types of empathy that can be employed. So there's emotional or effective empathy where you're actually feeling the same emotions or, or things that are going on in the other. Or there's cognitive empathy, which perhaps, perhaps protects the leader from all this extra emotional baggage, but still allows them to sort of cognitively imagine what the other is going through. And leaders can also develop empathy within teams by doing things like um, getting athletes to share biographical stories and uh, explain where they've come from, what their family's like, and who they are as, as people. And getting them to do other little things like they, they sometimes use communication uh, conversation cubes where there's just a little question on different dice cubes and stuff to get conversations going about situations and how you feel about it, how you'd react in this situation. And it's all sort of data collecting from athletes so that they get to know the other person better and then are able to predict their behavior 
understand how best to communicate with them and become a more cohesive like family unit, if you like. But one of the other things I'd like to say about empathic leadership is I, I feel that we've come full circle. If you look at how human beings work for, for most of our history, like 90% of our history in hunter-gatherer tribes or whatever, that's how we were leading. We had a leader who wasn't too far above everybody else, who was constantly talking to everyone in the group to get to know their strengths so that they could uh, task appropriate to serve the group best. So if you knew who the best scout was to go off to look for new pastures or whatever, who the best person was to chase down an animal or something like that, and then you can give that person the job and the, the whole group survives because of it. So I think it was like the Industrial Revolution and farming that took us off track and all of a sudden we had this um, dictatorial leader. Uh, there's a great example in Howard's End, forces Howard's End of an industrialist called Henry Wilcox who says in the book, I know the faces of the men that work for me, but I don't know what's beneath them. Mm. And I think that's where we got to because of the way factory working leaders were and maybe people became part of machines, et cetera. But it's come back now to for us understanding that we work together best in human ways and not in machine ways, if you like. Uh, that's so powerful. I, I, when you were talking about that, the way we used to lead, the way we used to commune, the way we used to do things. And then all I could think of myself was, but then the industrial revolution happened. Then you hit it. You're like, so we changed. Yeah. Like we, yeah. we artificially led people in a way that were not naturally led for that time. And we thought that was the right thing to do for, for nearly a, a century. And now we're kind of getting back to the roots of what true leadership is, what true uh, empathic leadership should look like. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's what's really in our DNA. That's what, that's who we are. We, as you say, we went off track and that's, it was just for a small percentage of our history, you know, a tiny part that, you know, probably 200 years or, or more. It, it's, um, it, and it's, it was a, it was, it was a false rep representation of who we are as, as a species, I think. I think you're hundred percent correct. And that is the most powerful thing I've heard today. And uh, that's going to sit with me for a while. I have to think about that one. That's, that's powerful. As you know, I'm working on my uh, PhD as well. And, and uh, we're, and I do, and we're, I'm st studying leadership and that's something I just really hadn't wrapped my hands around because they saying leadership started during the industrial revolution. That's when we developed yeah. it. It's like, no, we yeah. didn't. We developed it as humans long before that. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I've got to think about that one. That's really powerful. Um, so how can people find out uh, more about you and this brand new book? Um, so the book's published by Routledge. Uh, there's, a, there's a page for the book on the Routledge website. The book should be available to order anywhere from any bookseller. Uh, I think it's out in the US at the beginning of June. It's out in the UK on the 27th of April. Uh, there's one website which is empathicminds.org. I'm Dr. Peter Sear on Twitter and on LinkedIn. So anybody could message me there if they've got any questions or want to chat about the weather. I'll be glad to hear from anyone. Perfect. And we'll put links in the show notes uh, for those resources. And uh, yeah, I believe that uh, the, the book is going to be available soon here uh, in the U.S. I saw it on Amazon, so it's going to be here uh, very, very soon. Uh, the book is called Empathic Leadership Lessons from Elite Sport. We didn't cover everything in the book, um, but I think the chapter that you have on how do I develop empathy as a leader, I think is really powerful. And you touched on it here in the conversation. But if you are questioning whether or not you're an empathetic leader, 
if you have that uh, in you, uh, I highly encourage you. That particular chapter is really powerful to be able to learn how to do it. It can be learned, as you just said, uh, and we can practice it. So uh, leadership is a people business. People, it's all about connecting with our people if we want to get things, big things done. And so this idea of empathetic, uh, sorry, empathic leadership is really important. <laughs> so uh, I really highly encourage listeners, you pick up this book, uh, you connect with uh, Peter and learn more about this topic. Very important for leadership. Peter, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for sharing all this. And thank you for writing this really important book. Thanks. It's very kind. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that's it for today. Thank you for listening to Deep Leadership. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and share so we continue to build a world with better bosses. Until next time, this is John Rennie saying take care and lead well. Thank you for listening to Deep Leadership. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for all you do. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. For more information and updates, please visit our website at www.deepleadershippodcast.com or johnsrenny.com. Until next time, take care. Electric acid. Welcome to the Candle Power Hour. Come with us backstage behind the scenes of show business spanning over four decades and bringing you the experiences that can only be told by the people who were there. Our guests are from the A-list, the F-list, and everyone in between. Get set for some of the most insane, hilarious, and inspiring stories you will ever hear. I'm Mercury. And I'm Diego. Your host for The, the Candle, Candle Power, Power Hour. Hour. Hey there, fabulous souls. I'm Stephanie Baklaan. And I'm Eden Alpert. And we're the hosts of the brand new podcast, Unapologetically Fab. Get ready to join us on an amazing and real journey as we dive into life after 40 and own it. We're all about changing the narrative, leaning into who you are, and living a life by your own design. Join us as we embrace life unapologetically and redefine success. This is Unapologetically Fab. An Electric Cast production. See you there. Oh, 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 o